Let's pray together. Then we're going to get in God's word. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for relationship with you. Thank you for inviting us to do kingdom with you, to see Jesus glorified, to see people's lives changed, including ours. And Father, I'm just so grateful that when we do life with you in, in the right way, the way you want us to do it with you, that it's by no means boring. Religion is boring. Relationship with Jesus is exciting. It's fulfilling. It's challenging. It's hard, scary, powerful. And I thank you, Father, that you invite us to draw close to you. And today we hear your invitation and we say yes. Because we want to do all that you've called us to do. We want to be all that you've called us to be. And accomplish everything that you've set before us so that you would be glorified. And we know that that comes out of our relationship with you. And so we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to continue with the the series that I've started uh, several weeks ago called The Simple Gospel. And today's subtopic is called Passion in the Process. Passion in the process. I like the phrase, a simple gospel, because I believe the gospel is very simple. I believe people make it very complicated. But it's simple. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a little child. Which to me means that the kingdom of heaven is simple because a child, if for a child to enter in, he has to understand. Which means that Jesus makes it easy for us to understand. Amen? So it's very simple. You know, we're all familiar with the passage, uh, Matthew 4.19. When Jesus said to these men, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He says, follow me. And he was talking to men that happened to be fishermen, James, John, a couple of other ones, Peter. And they dropped their nets, they left their fathers, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when Jesus is inviting us to follow him, he's inviting us into a process where he's going to change us into something. And he says, I'm going to change you to become fishers of men. Now, he was using that analogy with these guys because they happen to be professional fishermen. But obviously, it had something to do with going after people. So I want to say this, if you're following Jesus, then he's going to change you into to, to the kind of person that's going to love people and go after people. And we'll talk more about that next week. So he's inviting us to change us into something. But what I want to talk about today is the process, called passion in the process. There's a process that he's inviting us into in order for us to change. In order for us to change. Are you following Jesus or do you just simply check in with him occasionally? For example, when you need something, when you want something. Are you following Jesus or do you want just his cool stuff? His miracles, healing, 
the power thing, the powerful things. You know, there were people that that followed Jesus, that listened to his amazing sermons, that wanted to hang out with him because they knew that any moment a miracle was probably going to happen. And they would follow him and they would listen. And do you realize that apparently you can do kingdom-type activities and not know Jesus at the same time? You know, because Jesus said, and I've shared this before, he said, many will say to me in that day, that day meaning the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, wouldn't you say that casting out demons, doing miracles and healings, wouldn't you say that those are good things? Would you agree that those are good things? Would you agree that those are kingdom things? Because a matter of fact, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like, well, how do we know it's at hand? He said, look what's happening. Talked about the miracles, the healings, the deliverances. And he shares, Jesus shares that in that day, there are going to be many who say to me, Jesus, did we not do these things, miracles and healings and cast out devils? And then he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Or, or you workers of lawlessness, or you who lived your own lifestyle. He didn't say, you didn't do those things. You didn't do those things because you don't know me. He didn't say that. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, he wasn't calling, I don't believe, the, the works of casting out demons works of iniquity. But somehow, in my thought process, they were able to do those things, but they were still living their own lifestyle. They were doing their own thing. You know, like people who go to church on Sunday and then live contrary to the kingdom Monday through Saturday. You know, I was talking to a, a, a man in prison the other day in jail, and we're talking about how when I was in college, first of all, I grew up going to church because my mom made sure I went to church. Now, she didn't go with me, but she made sure I was on the bus every Sunday, went to church, me and my brother. So I grew up going to church. And then when I came to college, I continued to go to church because it was a habit that I had formed, that I was in. So I was used to going to church on Sunday. And back in the day when I went to church, I went with a lot of athletes. We'd go to church, the same church, and we would listen to the sermon. We would sing the songs. We'd do all that kind of stuff. And when the altar call was given, we'd go up to the altar and cry and repent. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. And oh, God, oh, God. You know, we'd do all that stuff. And then Monday through Saturday, we were back to doing the things we were doing the previous week. And then Sunday, church, we do the same thing. Oh, God, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And many people live that way, where they go to church on Sunday, they do their thing, but then they live a different lifestyle Monday through Saturday. And that's what I used to do. And many people do that. So the question is, are you following Jesus or do you just check in with him every once in a while? Jesus said to his disciples, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When he invites you to follow him, he's inviting you into a process. He who wants to follow me must Take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. 
Now, as scary as that sounds, he says, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who gives up his life will find it. Remember, Jesus said, I've come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Talking about the enemy. He says, but I've come that you may have a abundant life, that you may live life to the fullest extent. So he's inviting us into a process of death, but it's also the process of life. Sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? To experience true life, we have to die. To experience true life, we have to follow Jesus, put down our lives and say, okay, I'm going to follow you and allow you to make me into who you want me to become. So what does this process look like? What does the process look like? Going through the process is the indicator of whether or not you are following Jesus or if you're just listening or talking to him every once in a while. You know, we can see in the Bible that there were many people, as I said earlier, that followed him, that, that were excited about the miracles, that were excited about when he fed them miraculously. And they listened for a while. They were there for the miracles. But when Jesus said something challenging or very hard or very offensive, for example, one time he said, if you, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want any part of me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. It sounds like cannibalism. And they were, they were taking it that way. They were taking it literally, and they were getting offended. They said, this is a hard saying. Who in the world can take this? And then it says that they left him. They all left him. And then Jesus turned to his disciples, his 12, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And it's interesting because Peter didn't say, no, Lord, we're not going to leave you because we know exactly what you mean. We know that you're talking spiritually, not figuratively. We know that you don't really mean what it sounds like. Peter didn't say that. They were probably standing there with their mouths gaping open like, what in the world is he talking about? They were freaking out too. But then when he said to them, are you going to leave me too? They're like, uh, no. I mean, where else are we going to go? You're the one with the words of life. And kind of my paraphrase, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I know you're the man. And see, many people follow Jesus as long as they understand and as long as it's convenient and as long as it goes along with your plans. But as soon as something happens that's contrary to what you think should happen, we check out. And then we miss the very process. We skip out on the process that God is inviting us into that he uses to change us to make him more like him. See, he's, he's called every single one of us to do powerful, wonderful, great things for him and with him. And unfortunately, many people just settle for a nice ministry that's void of power. That's void of anointing. That's void of his presence. Because they settle for a ministry that they can do in their own strength. They settle for a calling or something that they can do in their own giftings, talents. But God has called us to do something that's impossible. 
He's called us to impact people in a way that brings glory to him. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see what you're doing, they see your good works, but they glorify the Father. I think there's something miraculous involved in that. But in order for us to do miraculous things, for him to do things that are on a level that will glorify him, we have to allow him to change us into the person, the people that he wants us to be. We have to allow him to change us, to change us. I'm sure you know some people that need to be changed. How many of you know that a little bit of religion can make people mean? When people get some Bible under their belts, and man, it's like, dang, you got mean all of a sudden. What does the process look like? Two things, simply. It's more than this, but there's two things that I'm going to talk about today. The process that Jesus is inviting us into, it looks like two things. Obedience to him and spending intimate quality time with him. It looks like obedience to him and spending intimate quality time with him. We're going to uh, go ahead and put up... Uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're starting with verse 5, and this is going to be out of the new, or excuse me, the Passion Translation. And one thing I appreciate about reading different translations is it, it basically says the same thing, but a lot of times it brings out different highlights, and, and so you may see things that you never noticed before. And this is one of my favorite passages, and one that we're all familiar with, we probably all read, but I never saw it with the richness that I, that I noticed the other day. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, the bad guy, bad guy Saul. And he, wrote, he writes this, starting with verse 5. says, I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of the Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. Let me ask you this first before I continue. Who were the people that Jesus had the most challenges with? Who's that? The Pharisees, the religious people. His own family. But you, you remember that it was the, the religious ones, the ones who loved God, were the very ones that killed God. You notice that? When he would confront or encounter sinners, the woman at the well, the, the lepers, the, the tax collectors, the people that society said, now you really are sinners. You notice when he, when he, when he had encounters with them, you saw how he responded to him, how he treated them, and how they responded. A lot of compassion. He wasn't excusing their sin. Remember the one lady who was caught in the very act of adultery? He didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. He said, where are your condemners? She goes, there aren't any. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He was setting her free into a different lifestyle. But you notice how he, he, his encounter with the sinners was one way. But his encounter with the religious people was a whole different thing. He said some pretty harsh things. They were pretty harsh. They were looking for reasons and ways to attack him, to put him away. And these are the ones that supposedly loved God. And they ended up killing God. So these religious folks were pretty rough characters. Would you agree? They were pretty rough. Would you say that they had issues? They probably had a few issues, didn't they? 
So here's Paul, starting with verse 5. It says, I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in a strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. So not only was Paul, one of the, excuse me, Saul at the time, one of those Pharisees, but he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So if you thought the Pharisees was, were bad, Paul was badder. The dude was bad. Second to none when it came to the religious traditions and understanding of the law and all that kind of thing. And in his zeal, he persecuted and killed and threw, and threw into jail Christians, followers of Jesus. You and me, if we would have been around Paul when he was Saul, we would have been thrown in jail or killed or tortured or whatever. I've heard people call, consider, or compare Paul to uh, an ISIS leader. Now, when we think of the ISIS terrorists, they're pretty bad people. That's what Paul was like. So if we think the Pharisees were bad, then we're talking about a dude on a whole different level. Verse 7, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them, and I regarded all all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Now, obviously, something happened to this man who was Saul and who was persecuting Jesus and persecuting the church. We know he had an experience with, with Jesus, and everything changed. Verse 8, to truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all of my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now so that I, so that I may... Be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord and all of the, his greatness. Number nine, verse nine, my passion, my passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I, will con and I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and will be one with him in his death. Verse 11, only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. Back in verse 10 again. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. The power of his resurrection working in me. And then he says, and here's how he experiences the power of his resurrection working in him. I will be one with him in his sufferings, Jesus' sufferings, because he's talking about Jesus. I will be one with him in his sufferings. And I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. Now, a question I want to ask you. Paul talks about when he becomes joined in the likeness of the sufferings of Jesus and his death. When he relates to that and, and embraces that and joins, then he experiences the resurrection power of Jesus in his life. 
the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings and his death. My question for you is, what was Jesus' sufferings? Because a lot of times people read this passage and they think, well, when I'm suffering, when I'm suffering, then I can be related to the power of Jesus. And I think we miss it in the sense that we think that our sufferings is what, ca- what, is what will cause us to experience God's power. There's a lot of suffering that we do that have nothing to do with Jesus. There's a lot of suffering that we do that, it, that we invite or happen in our lives that has nothing to do with the will of God. See, Paul said in verse 10, I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. His suffering. We need to suffer, be acquainted with Jesus' sufferings. There's a difference between his sufferings and my suffering. For example, Jesus didn't suffer from sin. If I continue in sin, then sin has consequences. It's going to bring a suffering that I'm going to be dealing with that has nothing to do with the sufferings of Jesus. Are you hearing me? And we have to get that straight. We have to understand what is the sufferings that Jesus experienced that Paul was talking about, that he became acquainted with, that he related to, that we need to become acquainted with and relate to. Two things that Jesus suffered. Persecution was one. Actually, it killed him, right? Persecution from the religious folks. Those who desire to live righteously will suffer persecution. When you choose to follow Jesus, that's going to put you on a course that's contrary to the rest of the world. And sometimes contrary to the rest of the church. Or churchgoers, shall I say. Not the church, but sometimes churchgoers. So making a righteous stand or, or standing in the will of God will, call, will bring persecution in your life. Just ask Jesus if you don't believe me. He was honoring God, obeying God, did nothing wrong, and he suffered persecution. So that's the first thing that Jesus, his sufferings. The second thing was his obedience. His obedience to the will of the Father. The Bible says Jesus was tempted by sin, but he did not give in to sin. He didn't suffer in sin. But he, his sufferings came when it came to him obeying God. Because remember in the garden when he said, Father, if there's any other way. Remember that? And in that scenario... The Bible talks about that it says he began to sweat drops of blood. And I don't believe that's a figurative, allegorical situation. I believe that was physically, he was physically sweating drops of blood. Because the Bible also says that the angels had to come and minister to him. They had to, I believe, miraculously strengthen him because he was under such anguish, under such stress. And there is a medical term, I forgot to look it up. I think it's called hematidrophus or hematosomething. Does that sound right any of my medical folks? Anybody recognize that? Where you're under such stress, under so much stress, that the little capillaries in your, your head or whatever will begin to break. And then the blood will begin to ooze out of your sweat glands extreme level of stress. I believe that's what Jesus was suffering. Because the Bible says that three times he went back to the Father 
and said, hey, have you changed your mind yet, God? Have you come up with another plan? Can we do it a different way than this one? But then he would say, not my will, but your will be done. And it was a struggle. I mean, for him to be sweating drops of blood, that's a big struggle. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, but I believe what he was struggling with was the fact that something he was about to experience that he'd never experienced before. Not the pain, although that was a big deal. Being hung on a cross is a big deal. So I'm not trying to belittle that. But what was even worse than that and what I believe he was really concerned about, because he was going to take on the sin of the world, the Father had to reject him. And he was about to be separated from the Father, which he had never experienced before. Now remember, Jesus and the Father had lived together for eternity past. And there was about to come a time in history, and I don't know how this all works out, but there's going to become a time when he was going to be separated from the Father, that he was going to be rejected by the Father. Remember on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had never experienced that before. And in the garden, he foresaw that he was going to have to do that. And he was wrestling with that. And he was struggling with that. But he said, not my will, your will be done. So when Paul is talking about the sufferings of Jesus, I believe he's talking about the persecution. Did Paul suffer any persecution? Did he suffer any persecution? Several times over. And obedience. It's obedience to Jesus. In the process of following Jesus, remember Jesus said to his disciples, now look guys, paraphrasing, they hate me and they're going to hate you too because you're following me. So I'm giving you a warning. The world is going to hate you. People are going to hate you. And a lot of times the people who are really going to oppose you are the religious ones. The ones who have a zeal for God, but they're, they're kind of in their own righteousness thing. But your stand with Jesus doing the right things will bring persecution into your life. And that's actually the easy part. Because the harder part is walking in obedience to Jesus is going to be difficult. When you're following him, he says, come with me, follow me. And all of a sudden you stop. Because you see the door that he walks through, and he's expecting you to follow him. And it's like, do I have to go in there? And he's like, yeah, follow me. And those of you who were here last week when Nayada shared, remember the one of the doors she had to walk through? She had to follow Jesus through? He was talking to her that from the time she was a teenager that he was calling her to the Amazon. He was, she was going to minister powerfully in the Amazon, which they are doing right now. And she had, he had all these, these wonderful things for these promises for her. And she was excited and that passion was burning. But then there was, a, there was a time, there was a door, as she was following Jesus, he said, daughter, you have to let him go. Remember that? She, was, she had this boyfriend for six years or something like that, long term. Now, did that have anything to do with God's love for that man? No. But he was telling her, you have to let him go if you're going to follow me. And then what she shared with us was because he 
would not want God's plans for her life. And so she let him go. She let this relationship go. And she said she cried for, for six months. See, that's suffering. That may sound kind of funny or cute, ha, ha, ha. But when you have to go through that situation, it ain't funny at all. I remember one time when Lisa and I, we were, we were beyond dating. We were um, engaged. We were about to get married. We had ordered the invitations, but we hadn't sent them, sent them out yet. And I remember one time the Lord told me, and so I was very passionate about this lady. Still am, by the way. But I was very passionate. It's like, this is the lady that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And up to that point, the Lord, I thought he said it was okay. You know, can I pursue her? Yes. And then there came a point when he told me, he says, you have to call off the wedding. It's like, wait, what? You have to call off the wedding. No, we ain't doing that. And I wrestled with that. But then I said yes. Because I was determined not to allow anybody to come between me and Jesus. And Lisa had made that same determination. Nobody, not even this good-looking man, was going to come between her and Jesus. And I remember, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? But, God, what about, what about? And I remember going to Lisa's uh, house. I think she was living with Mark and Lori, living with her sister and brother-in-law. And I told her, I said, guess what? No, I think she came over to my place. I can't remember. Anyway, we were together, and I said, God is saying that we have to call off the wedding. And she didn't necessarily agree with that. She wasn't hearing that, I mean, from the Lord, but I was. So we talked about it. We cried, and then we played cards. It was settled. It was settled. It's like, well. Okay, and we played, there was a card game we always played. I can't remember what it was. Probably Shanghai, because that's what Dale and Teresa taught us. And then it was either, I can't remember if that was a Friday or Saturday night, but it was either one, Friday or Saturday. Anyway, Sunday morning I was driving to church, and I was at the corner of Hall of Fame and Maine, and that's where Safeway used to be. Anybody remember Safeway back in the day? It was either Safeway or Homeland, one of those two. Safeway first. And then Homeland. Yeah, it was one of those. And I remember at this intersection, and I heard this. Son, you can marry Lisa. It's like, what? Said you can marry Lisa. And I don't know what all that was for. I don't know if it was a test or, or whatever. But I knew that my number one commitment was to Jesus. And in case you're wondering, yes, we did get married, and we're living happily ever after. But sometimes following Jesus means you have to make choices, hard choices. Because in that, in that process of making choices, he knows what he has for you. What he has for you, the plans he has for you and me are a whole lot better than the plans we have for ourselves. But we think, speaking of relationships, man, I can't let go of this or her or him. 
This is the best thing in my life. I can't do that. But remember this. He's the best thing in your life. And he's saying, do you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust the process? Will you continue to follow me? Obeying him means doing things the way he wants us to do them. It's like, well, how do I know to do that? Well, if you find yourself in a situation and you're trying to figure out what to do, you hand it, handle it in a biblical way. That's obeying Jesus. It's like, well, what does the Father have to say about this? When you get crossways with somebody, the easy way to handle that, in other words, if, if, you, if you get uh, in a relationship conflict, typically the way churchgoers handle that is they avoid the person and then they go somewhere else. And because if they come to church here, they'll continue to see this person, all of a sudden they have a new call from the Father to go to another church. And so they will avoid the situation, avoid that person, and they go somewhere else. And there's many, many, many people that do things that way. But when you are in relational conflict, it's like, Lord, what do I do? What do you say for me to do? And typically it's going to be hard and difficult on your flesh, but it's the right thing to do. If you're having a conflict with your boss at work, you can go tell him or her off, you can cuss them out, you can do whatever, or you can follow Jesus in that situation. And you say, Father, what do you want me to do? Well, one, regardless of this person being right or wrong or evil or whatever, he's going to tell you to honor that person. If you don't believe me, ask King David before he was king, when he was being chased by this crazy madman who was the king trying to kill him, named Saul. Saul was demonized, he was jealous, he had all these issues, and he was trying to kill David. And David had two opportunities to kill Saul. Two opportunities where God put him in a deep sleep, or one way he put him in a deep sleep, in a situation where David could have had him killed, just like that, and his problems would have been over. And David's attitude was, I will not put my hand against God's anointed. God put him in office. I'll let God take him out. And so when, we, when we're walking with Jesus and we're following him, when we find ourselves in challenging situations, it's when we choose to do things in obedience to him, it's going to do something to our character. It's going to develop our character. We're going to change. We're going to become more like him. But if we skip that process, then our character is going to stay the same. And that's how you can have people who have been going to church for 20 years and they're still just as mean and grumpy as they've always been. And they haven't changed. They're still as self-centered. They're still all about themselves. And that's not what God's calling us to do. He's saying, follow me. And we see the example of Paul, who was Saul, a very aggressive and mean, very zealous and he talks about the passion of Jesus, and he fell in love with Jesus, and he began to follow him and obey him. In verse 12, he says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover 
I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I have, as I have, as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. Paul was somebody who was a religious zealot who killed Christians becoming, to becoming one of the most famous God lovers on the planet. This was the same man who was first killing Christians, becoming the one who was willing to share the gospel even at the cost of his own life. Do you think there was a change that happened? And the change, I believe, came as he obeyed Jesus and followed him, even if it was going to cost him something. And the encouragement to all of us, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, he's inviting us into a process by which he's going to change us. But that process means walking with him in obedience. And he's going to begin to change our character. Remember Joseph, when he was a young man and he had these dreams of being a great leader, even his mom and dad was bowing down before him in his dreams and his brothers were bowing down. And then all of a sudden, Joseph found himself in prison, found himself as a slave. It's like, wait a minute, God, you called me to greatness, but here I am. You know, you've called me to the palace, but here I am in prison. And Joseph could have shaken his fist at God and said, God, why have you forsaken me, you dirty scoundrel? You ripped me off, you cheated me. And he could have just got bitter with God and said, forget this, I'm going to do my own thing. But I believe we can see that he did not allow himself to get bitter because whatever situation he found himself in, for example, when he got purchased by Potiphar and was in Potiphar's house, everything he touched turned to gold, basically. Everything he touched, God blessed. The favor of God was on his life. So he began to prosper Potiphar. And then he gets accused by his wife, ends up in prison again, and then he serves the men. He serves the, the um, two men that used to serve the king. He served them. And then he finds himself serving Pharaoh and ends up at the top. But if he would have skipped out on the process, he would not have made it to the palace. See, God has called us to do amazing, great things. But there's a process that we have to go through so that when we get to the palace, our character can keep us there. Our character can keep us there. So what is it that God is challenging and encouraging you and inviting you to follow him in obedience? Is it a relationship? Is it a choice between this job or that or going to this school or that school? Or, or is there some situation that you're going through? If you find yourself in a very difficult situation... I can promise you this, that God has wisdom for you. And he has a way that he wants you to walk through that situation. And if you follow him through that situation, you will honor and glorify him, but you will allow him to bring the change in your life that you need for now and for your future.
In closing, I want to share There's one more point I want to make, and then I want to share something. So how do we be practical about this? You know, in, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, um, part of what he, one, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you really think about that verse, apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that mean I can't eat without Jesus? Does that mean I can't tie my shoes? Does that mean I can't go to work? Does that mean it's like, no. Because obviously there are people who don't have a relationship with Jesus that do all those things, right? So there's something specific that he's talking about doing that we can't do without him. He's talking about bearing fruit that honors him. We cannot do it without him. We cannot do it apart from him. And then he says in verse 7, if you abide in me, you've heard me share this verse before, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, or his word has its way in you, and you honor and obey his word, and it becomes an intricate part of your life, he says, then you ask whatever you desire, and I will do it for you. He's saying, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you desire, and in the language, the Hebrew language, or, or the Aramaic, or whatever language it was written in, it's more of a command. He says, if you abide in me, And my word abides in you. I command you to ask what you desire. I command you, ask what you desire, and I will do it for you. There's strong language in that passage of him saying, you ask, and I'll do it. You see what kind of relationship he's inviting us into? The kind of relationship that where we can ask him something, and he will do it. That's what he said. But obviously... That's the kind of relationship, not where we check in with Jesus every once in a while when we, when we want something and say, hey, Jesus, I need this. But it's the kind of relationship where we're following him, we're honoring him, we're listening to him, we're obeying him, we're allowing his word to have its place in our lives. And then he says, what is it that you want? I want to ask you this question. What does your time with him look like on a weekly basis? What does your time with the Lord look like on a weekly basis? And what I mean by that is, not today doesn't count, coming to church doesn't count, but your personal one-on-one time with Jesus, is it happening? Is it happening regularly? If we treated our relationship with the Father, excuse me, if we treated our relationship with our spouses like we treat our relationship with Jesus, would we still be married? You know, in the Bible, he, there's a, they use the metaphor of marriage to compare the, the relationship that we have with Jesus. And if you want to know what our relationship should look like with Jesus, then imagine, what does a good marriage look like? If I go to my wife and say, hey, Lisa, I want this, 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 and this. Oh, yeah, don't forget this. See you later. And every day I checked in with her and I told her what I wanted. And that's what I did every day. Do you think that we'd stay married? (laughs) Or or would we have a good marriage? 
It wouldn't last. Or it wouldn't be fruitful. It wouldn't be a good, solid marriage, a good, solid relationship. But in my relationship with her, I do ask for things. She asks for things. We spend time together. We talk with one another. We check in. Sometimes we get busy, but then we always make sure we come back together. And the interesting thing is, because of my love relationship for her, when I find out a desire that she has, it also becomes my desire. And I want to do whatever I can with the resources that I have to make it happen. Why? Because I love her. So imagine a father who has unlimited resources. When your heart's connected with his and he says, whatever you want, I want you to ask me for So here's my challenge and encouragement to you in closing. Evaluate your your one-on-one relationship with him, how connected you are to his word. And I'm not talking about read your Bible and pray, although that's included, but what I'm talking about is connecting with him on a regular basis. Obviously, that has everything to do with his word. That has to do with praying, but not just asking for stuff, but communicating with him. Follow me and I will make you. He's inviting us into a process by which he wants to change us. Amen. Would you stand with me? Could you, uh, Noah, go ahead and put those uh, words up on the, on the board? I'm going to give you a few moments to read this. Because you know when when you're getting married to somebody and you're exchanging vows, you typically know the vows you're about to make before you actually say them. Because what I'd like you to do is, what I'd like to invite us to do together, now that you see what it says, so you're not just blindly saying anything. I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me this idea this morning when, during pre-service prayer, is to see this as a time of just renewing our vows. A lot of times, married couples will do that. They've been married for a long time. And they say, you know what, let's renew our vows. I still love you. I'm recommitting and I'm letting you know that my commitment for you hasn't changed. And so I would like to invite you, as the preacher, like before marriage, I'll say the phrase and then you can repeat after me. And the reason why I wanted you to read this ahead of time so that you can make the choice with your heart and not just go through it because it's up there. Okay? So if you put your hand over your heart, and then if you want to renew your vows with Jesus... Just repeat after me. Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord, you are my King, you are my Master. I have chosen to take up my cross and follow you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lead, I will follow.
You are my number one passion and my number one commitment. I have no higher commitment than you. I will follow you in good times and bad, in exciting times and sad. I will follow if I get sick as well as in perfect health. I will walk with you when I'm experiencing lack and when I'm walking in wealth. (laughs) Isn't that up there? Okay, let's try. All right. I will follow you if I get sick as well as in perfect health. I will walk with you when I'm experiencing lack and when I'm walking in wealth. I will trust you even when I don't understand what's going on or what you're doing. I trust that you are good all the time and you have my best interest in mind. I will make spending time with you and your word a very high priority in my life. And I endeavor to obey you by walking in the grace that you give me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good and you're inviting us to follow you. And we say yes. We say yes to you. We say yes to your process. We say yes to honoring you. And I thank you for the grace that you make available to every single one of us. Thank you for your goodness, Father. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys and you have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next time.